With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon and this is what's known as an early drop in podcasting lingo. It just means it's out a day early. Um, the reason is uh, later on I'm going to be uh, previewing the Champion of Champions and I wanted to do that in good time because obviously it starts Monday. I want to give people a chance to listen to, for what they're worth, my thoughts on the tournament and the, and the matches. Um, because there's still one place to be decided, potentially in the uh, international championship final. Um, Ding Jun, we're in at the moment, obviously waiting on results. And as I record this, I don't know who's won the tournament, obviously, because it's not over yet. Um, but it's been a very interesting week of snooker. Uh, the crowds have been fantastic. It's a new city, Tianjin, for snooker. First big international event there. You're never quite sure how it will go. It's gone brilliantly. Um, real good atmosphere and uh, nice to have, you know, that support. And um, I did predict uh, on day one there'd be a lot of centuries. The pockets pl- certainly played generously early on. The tables, um, they did change a little bit, I think, as the week went on. And um, certainly sort of by the quarterfinals, it seemed that they weren't quite so generous. But then, of course, they were re-clothed for the semifinals. Um, the standard's been high, but the players are really good. We must always remember that when people sort of talk about these things. The players are really good. <laughs> and that obviously uh, helps the standard. So we'll have a Champion of Champions preview coming up. But uh, first of all, a couple of emails uh, from last week just came in under the... Or, I suppose, over the wire, because I'd already recorded. So our dear friend Alpha Bonzi and also David Burney. Now, David Burney has been to Brazil, so we have a first-hand dispatch here from David, of course, uh, Canadian, but uh, he's been at the Pan-American Championship. He says, it looked like we're going to have another Brazilian player on the tour. Uh, this is uh, played just recently, and uh, it was Jonas Lutz. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but Jonas Lutz. Uh, he beat uh, Fabino uh, 5-4 to win in Rio de Janeiro. And David was there. He said Jonas was able to grab a two-year card as the winner the Pan American Championship. In addition, fellow countryman Igor Figueiredo will be playing at the Crucible Theatre this May at the World Seniors Championship as he won the Pan American Seniors event. There's something going on in the Amazon as there are some strong Brazilians playing down there. As well, 13-year-old 
Eduardo Henrik Faria made a nice debut by winning one of his games. The future looks bright south of the equator. Well, just on that, of course, uh, years ago, Steve Davis went out to play Rui Chapo, who died a couple of years ago. And uh, he was uh, the great uh, Brazilian snooker player. They're playing on smaller tables out there. Uh, I think ten reds and, and, and a smaller table. And um, But he, he wore a hat, and he said he would only remove it when he got beat. Um, I think he did lose to Steve, actually, but he kept the hat on. Anyway, uh, I may have that the wrong way around. He definitely wore the hat. He played in the World Masters in Birmingham, 1991. Rui Chapo. Eagle figure, had a terrific talent, but I think he couldn't make it pay, coming over, you know, trying to play on the circuit, coming over from Brazil. Um, which is a shame, because he was great to watch. Anyway, David continues... Uh, the entire CBBS team was wonderful. They made myself and everyone from out of town feel right at home in Rio. They had six tables going and was able to have referees at all tables all tournament long. As well, great people making sure all the stats were updated so people could see where their favourite player was and how the tournament was shaping up. Also, Antonio was a wonderful streaming producer. His English isn't perfect, but neither is my Portuguese. Uh, Daniel and Januaro did a great job commentating the whole event in Portuguese. My new brother's behind the mic. Snooker's growing in the Americas and it's great to see. This is all positive stuff, David. He said, up in Canada, we're just finishing up another BC Open qualifier. As I write this, the tournament hasn't concluded, but I wanted to mention the young nine-year-old, Hirian Dasani, got his first ever match win. Impressive. He's fearless. He goes for a lot of pots and makes his good share of them. He knows a little about the tactical side. That's only going to get stronger as he continues to progress in the game. Well, he's got a lot of time to do that if he's nine. I mean, we had a 12-year-old, of course, playing Judd Trump in the International Championship. So uh, they start in early these days. But good to know what's happening down there in South America. And, um, of course, they play snooker. You must remember this. We talk a lot about the professional game. But snooker's played all around the world in amateur levels and, and different levels. And um, it's great to see, you know, the competitiveness and the enthusiasm that people have. Now, for Bonzi... You've written in with some UK Championship memories. Now, this was this was me asking for these, and we're gonna I'm going to address these alpha closer to the UK Championship, so people should keep them coming in. If you've got any great memories of that tournament, snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. Uh, he asked a question here, uh, aside from that. He said, do I and other snooker fans like me take the sport too seriously, considering I have no connection to anyone in the game? Should I, being solely a fan, stick to matters on the table rather than getting bogged down with various off-table issues like the poorly planned calendar, match fiction scandals, live scoring issues, etc.? Um, well, and he also said, but before I answer that, he also says um, he sends his best wishes to uh, one of our correspondents, John, who was talking about some, some tough times that he had uh, and um, he t- took his focus off snooker. That's very kind of Alpha. I mean, should you should you take uh, do you take it too seriously? You take it as seriously as you want to take it, I suppose. Um, you, you take an interest in whatever you like and, and give your views on whatever you like. The only thing I would say is I think sometimes people do get the wrong end of the stick with things um, if they don't have first hand knowledge of it. It's very and the problem these days is it's very easy to you know go online and say everything's an outrage when you don't really know any of the facts. Um, and, you know, that does happen quite a lot. So, but, I mean, it's good that I think people take an interest in different areas of the game. Just remember, though, that uh, I guess it's not always kind of um, as black and white as people... A lot of the issues are not always as black and white as people would have you uh, have you believe. Now, he asked another question here. He says, um, 
We says suggestion for future podcasts, but I will read it now. It says players who've reached one major, not the shootout ranking final, without winning, i.e., Gary Wilkinson at the 1991 British Open, and players who've won major invitationals without winning the rankers, i.e., Wilkinson in the 1991 World Match Play. So, <laughs> so this isn't these. This is players who've won a big invitation event, reached a ranking final, but not won it. One ranking final. The other one I could think of, and it's, it's quite a sort of relevant one actually, uh, Alpha. Because he passed away this year. Perry Mans, of course, got to the World Championship final and then won the Masters. So, you know, he would uh, he would certainly uh, qualify, I think, under your criteria there. But uh, we, we, may, uh, we may revisit that in the future. You may be able to tell that I've got a, something, of a, something of a sort of sore throat. And on this subject, seamless segue here, I had a, an email from Stephen Michelle in Glasgow. They say, it feels like a lifetime. Go, Stephen's writing this. It feels like a lifetime ago since Michelle and I accosted you for a photo in The Graduate following an incredible evening session between Luca Brussel and C. Wee at the Crucible back in April. Thank you again for being so accommodating with your time as we lurk behind a pillar waiting for the opportune moment. What can we say? We're easily starstruck. Yes, I think that's, <laughs> that's certainly true. I mean, it, yes, The Graduate, I mean, to be fair, it was 50-50 whether I was going to be in there or not, and, you, and I was. So uh, it was nice to meet you, very nice to meet you. Since we have not one, not two, but three questions for you. Uh, firstly, we've been closely following the results of Brussels and CJ we ever since the Worlds and expected better form and consistency from both. But we appreciate that's easier said than done. Did you have any expectations or predictions for either player following their respective World Championship performances? Uh, well, I'll answer these in turn. Uh, expectations, it's difficult, I think, because... Every sort of world champion, I suppose, comes to it in a different way. I mean, when Judd Trump won it, there was a kind of expectance, expectation that he would win it. And, of course, he was winning a lot of other tournaments. So you sort of thought that, you know, he was used to winning by then. He would carry on, and he did. Whereas Purcell, he'd only won, I think, three other tournaments before. So, you know, he wasn't that regular a winner. What I thought for this season was, I thought he would come good probably now and again, maybe win a couple of tournaments. I didn't expect him to dominate. What's actually happened is he's he's still on a on a high from winning the World Championship in terms of off the table. He's enjoying his life, and there's nothing wrong with that. Been doing a lot of travelling and just enjoying things. He looked rusty in Tianjin at the International Championship. And, you know, there was a lot of sort of almost celebrated a bit too much. I think this all this business, oh, I haven't practised for the World Championship. He does need matches. He needs to practise. He needs sharpness. Because everyone else is sharp, or a lot of them are, and he's lost a few paces maybe against the rivals. So the champion of champions, we'll talk about his group uh, later. That could be an opportunity, you know, to maybe start to perform this season. Of course, he did get to the Shanghai Masters final, but my expectation was I didn't feel he would be overly burdened by being world champion. It's not that so far. It's more that he just isn't playing very much, I think. Cjar Wee. It was difficult to know how he would take that defeat. Everyone said about his age, I was only 20, he'll, he'll back, get over it. But it was tough to take. He must have thought several times in the months since I could have been in the World Championship final. Um, he's not had a terrible season, but he's not really done anything dramatic. He's not sort of got to latter stages of tournaments. I think there's still time. I hope he does. He's a very entertaining, talented player to watch, but it's hard is the problem. And also, I think when you do well, I know he didn't win it, but when you have a bit of profile and, and, and go deep in a in, well in the biggest tournament in terms of the World Championship the semi-finals other players raise their game against you 
Jack Jones, I think, has found this as well. You know, that you suddenly become someone that people are really focused to try and beat. Uh, plenty of snooker left to play, though, this season, so we'll, we'll follow their progress with interest. Now then, Stephen and Michelle's second question. Uh, Michelle and I are both afflicted with a stubborn virus at the moment, of which the latest stage is a sore throat and relentless cough. You picked our interest in the last episode when you mentioned your throat was a little sore. It got us wondering if you take any particular precautions to protect your throat and vocal cords, much like professional singers or other broadcasters would. We wouldn't be surprised to learn there are some rather creative and legal home remedies being taken to preserve, one, to preserve one's dulcet tones during the long season of commentary and various media duties, or as much as one can protect their immune system when travelling the world and being amongst people most of the time. Have you made any special provisions throughout your broadcasting career, or do you know of any other snooker commentators or pundits who do? Um, not really, I would say. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I've had a cold, I mean, big deal, really, um, and a lot of it about in the winter. I've never been in a position where I can't sort of, um, I can't speak at all, touch wood. Clive Everton at the Crucible, he, he, because um, he did a lot of commentary and also reporting for BBC Radio, and he would always drink before a broadcast lime cordial. That was his drink. Now, I'm not a doctor, and neither is Clive. I don't know specifically why that would be the drink to have. But he would have a lot... He, he, sales of lime cordial in Sheffield every year skyrocketed for the 17 days. And he got to the stage where, because to, in, in those days, to get a drink in the little bar in the press room, there would be... Uh, hospitality women would serve you. And if they saw Clive coming towards them, they would already be pouring the lime cordial because they knew that's what he wanted. All I'll say is he never missed a commentary. Uh, well, actually, he did in the end because he fell over in, in the hotel, but that's that, nothing to do with his throat. His throat always held up. So there may be something in that. Um, my problem is I don't like lime cordial, so <laughs> so so I might have to look for something different. Um, and the final question from Stephen and Michelle: VAR, VAR controversies continue to dominate the footballing world. A recent example would be post-match press conference and an extraordinary rant from Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta after his side lost at Newcastle to a controversial goal, reviewed by VAR at length with Arteta fuming at the disgraceful situation. That was disgraceful in his words, by the way. So if relating this back to snooker, do any post-match conferences spring to mind for you where a player has launched a scathing verbal tirade on a referee or perhaps a heavy dose of passive-aggressive sarcasm? We can recall several incidents over the years during frames, but not so much during press conferences. We will access all areas press accreditation and overall snooker legend status. We expect you must have witnessed some humdingers of post-match presses. Well, I mean... Funnily enough, it hasn't happened that often. Um, I think sometimes players have certain views on referees, but they don't broadcast them. There is a sort of a, a genuine respect there for the job. And also, I think certainly the top referees, they do have respect because they can do the job well. The one that springs to mind was the Shanghai Masters final 2011. Um, Mark Selby, Mark Williams, where Selby's played that, he snookered, he's played that sort of hit and hope, and it wasn't clear whether it was red or pink that he hit immediately and then the replay came on in the arena and took a long time working it out. Iron Williams, who was a first-class referee, you know, referee world finals, was unlucky. He was sort of caught in the crossfire of that. And Mark Williams, of course, he lost. He was 9-7, not lost 10-9. And he had a few things to say at the time, which were not that friendly, but just a reaction to, to losing. Um, so that's one that stood out. But I think the referee was kind of innocent then. Obviously, um, and it wasn't a press conference, but the... Ronnie O'Sullivan, Olivia Martil, 
showdown, which of course will be part of this new O'Sullivan film that's out in a couple of weeks. Um, that was pretty high profile. But uh, to answer your question, not really. No, that there haven't been that many. I mean, Alex Higgins used to slate referees on a regular basis, but it was it was so regular that no one really took any notice um, because it was just pretty much every match towards the end that he said the referee wasn't up to it. Um, I think, in general, if players have got an issue with the referees, they tend to now, they would more likely go to the tournament office and, and discuss it with the tournament director rather than sort of broadcast it in the media. And it's a good thing, I think, in snooker that the officials, by and large, you know, have the respect of the players. That's, that's, that's good, isn't it? Because it's certainly not the case in every sport. Now, James Heat. Oh, I like about James is no, there's no um, rigmarole, there's no sort of a preamble. He just straight into the question. Not even a hello. <laughs> he says, just says, how are commentary pairings decided and who decides who is with who? For example, in a typical Eurosport tournament, on one day you're paired with Neil Folds and Philip Studdy's paired with Joe Johnson. But on the next day you might be commentating with Joe Johnson and Philip is with Neil. Similarly, on ITV4, you and Phil Yates will be commentating with different former players each day. Is there a deliberate policy to mix things up? Uh, I do notice, however, that in the two-session final on Eurosport, you are normally commentating on the final session. So when they play montages of the final moments of tournaments from years gone by, your voice is heard most of the time. Well, who decides, uh, James? Well, the the editor, the executive producer, the person in charge will usually do the rotor. Um, I think, I mean, you know, we, we, we do what we're told, obviously, but I think in general... They do like to, yeah, mix the voices around so that it's not just the same people together all the time, so that there is a mix and it's, it's different for the viewers. Um, I don't know, you know, I, 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 I don't know the extent of, you know, how much sort of time is spent thinking too much about it. I think if you've got a team that you respect, you don't need to sort of, you know, think about it too much because hopefully all the voices are ones you want to be working for you, so in a way it doesn't really matter that much who's together. But um, that's essentially it. The person who's running the production will decide who commentates with who. Um, and I think most people would agree it's good to, you know, to, to, to have a variety of, of partnerships because everyone works differently and obviously some prefer certain partnerships to others. That's just natural. But, uh, yeah, that, to answer your question, that it's the, 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 the editor of the, you know, the executive producer, who, the, the, the number one person who's in charge for the production will do... Uh, we'll do the rotors. Um, and in terms of finals, well, I've been very fortunate to uh, to comment out on a lot of, you know, very uh, thrilling and uh, hopefully, you know, sort of significant moments. Uh, but you, it raises an interesting point there about doing the end of finals, because on Eurosport, the finals often get repeated, um, very often. I mean, the World Championship final, the highlights of that will probably be shown possibly up to 20 times from when Luca Purcell won it to next year's World Championship. Christmas Day and various times so that is one time when you really have to concentrate on what you're saying think about what you're saying because you know it's going to be replayed so if you mess it up live it's going to be messed up every time it's shown um, so that is a time when you have to really think carefully about how you want the moment to be remembered because like you say it could be shown for years to come so you want to feel that you got it right at the time it's not for me to say whether I do or not but that's, that's the hope when you're there that you try and capture the moment and quite often as well certainly the World Championship what you say will be sort of lifted and, and taken and used in various VTs and features you know for the next year so um, that's not something I mean obviously you know I'm not saying it's more important than what the BBC do but they obviously they don't repeat the final 
you won't see that shown again. It'll be available, I'm sure, online, like iPlayer, whatever. But Eurosport actually will repeat that that highlights package of the final many times. So it, it's you're under a bit of pressure to get it right, I think. Brian McGovern is asking. He says, "Why are there only why were there only two tables available on Discovery Plus when there are eight tables in play at the same time? This is the international championship." I'm sending this email during the O'Sullivan Page match when I'd like to pop in on the Trump-Maguire match. Uh, he says, I love the podcast. Keep it the good work. Yourself and Folds in the Dream Commentary team. Thank you, Brian. He's from Navan in the Republic of Ireland. Um, <coughs> yeah, I, I, well, I can only assume in China there's just a different contract because I, I think this was the case in Wuhan as well. There are only two uh, streaming tables. It's four in the UK. So I suspect it's a contractual thing, but you raise a very good point there, an important point. Um which is the uh, the situation with Judd Trump and uh, Stephen Maguire. He was actually... Uh, Ronnie was playing Jack Jones, wasn't he? I think you said Jackson Page. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and Ding was on table two in the evening session. But Judd Trump didn't have to play in the evening session. He could have played in the afternoon. What, was, what has been the story of the last month in snooker? It's been Judd Trump winning three tournaments in a row, 22 ranking event matches in a row going into that match. Okay, a big story, a lot of interest in whether it will continue or whether it will end. He's playing Stephen Maguire, who's a big hitter, six-time ranking event winner. They played at Belfast in the quarterfinals. It was a great match. Trump was 3-1 down, 1-5-4. How on earth is that match not on a television table? In the evening, Ronnie and Ding are on those tables. Understandably, Ronnie the biggest name in the sport, Ding the biggest name in China. You can understand that. But Judd Trump could have played in the afternoon. How on earth is Jack Lazowski against Anthony McGill a better choice for television than that match at this time? I mean, Trump-Maguire a year ago would have been a terrific match, but all the focus and interest was on whether he could keep that run going. Instead, he's on table three. It was streamed in China. I know people have access to streams in other ways, but he's not officially available anywhere else in the world. So consequently, this quite historic sort of run that he was on, significant run certainly, came to an end like a damp squib. Uh, we didn't see the match. World Snooker Tour couldn't even put highlights of the match and monetize those highlights on YouTube because the, they had no footage that they could use on there. Um, now, I assume maybe the local promoter wanted Trump on at night to sell more tickets, but I asked World Snooker Tour and they said that that was not the reason. The reason was that they and the local broadcaster, that's how they decided it. But I think it was a missed opportunity and quite a serious one, actually. You know, that was the story for the last month, Judd Trump's run, and he ended up losing on an outside table. Now, I'm not saying the reason he lost was was because he's on an outside table. The run was always going to end at some point. Steve Maguire's been in good form. So had they been on table one, it may well have been the same. But that match could have been on television in the afternoon. And these are... The thing is, World Snooker Tour spend a lot of money on various sort of uh, promotional ideas, and good for them. They should be. No problem with that. But this didn't cost any money to put, to put... All you're doing is just a schedule of play. Wouldn't have cost a, a penny to put Trump on table one in the afternoon and win or lose, people would have been able to watch the match. Uh, it's not quite an answer to the question you asked, but I think that was a missed opportunity. One of the most important things is to get the right matches on tables where people can watch them. And as I say, that, that great run that he was on ended in a bit of obscurity, which is not great really. By the way, it, it goes to something I was saying a couple of weeks ago about 
the lack of a sort of independent journalistic presence at many tournaments. You know, 20 years ago, I mean, we used to go to China, people like myself and Phil Yates, and had this happened then, you know, this sort of same scenario, the first thing we would have done is brought Judd Trump in for an interview and asked him what he thought of being on table three. As far as I'm aware, no one asked him. He may not have said anything. He may have played it down because some players like to do that. Or he may have had a bit of a go. Um, but, you know, we don't have that now. We don't have that opportunity if, if journalists are not at tournaments. Um, he may say something next week. I don't know. But anyway, I think it, I, I think it was unfortunate, let's put it that way, that, that that was sort of squandered, that opportunity for more publicity by actually allowing people to see that match. Because unless you're at the venue or watching on... The, 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 I know people were watching on a stream, but I mean it wasn't an official one, um, so it, it was kind of hidden away, which I think is a shame. I think it's a shame. Now Lawrence Carpenter, he says I'm loving the podcast and your commentary as always. Thank you, Lawrence. He says I was wondering if you'd heard Stephen Hendry's suggestion on the WST podcast about running one of the tournaments with the rule that playing for snookers isn't allowed, so that the frame finishes when it's mathematically over. His reasoning is that playing for snookers often drags play out when there's only a small chance of someone getting them and winning the frame, although obviously it does happen. What do you think? Clearly there, there is skill in forcing snookers, but personally I'm always willing a player to pop the next ball or two after the snooker's required stage is reached so the other player won't come back to the table and we can avoid 10 or 15 minutes of the balls being tapped around with generally nothing gained. Just my opinion, but I'd be in favour as it would keep the game moving along. Yeah, I mean, I won't lie, I'm the same sometimes, not always, but sometimes you think, you just know the other player's not going to get the snookers and it does feel like sort of dead time. But I think you've got to be very careful, um, you know, sort of trying to change things and, and taking away what is a big skill level. And also, OK, the player may not get the snookers, but why should the, why should one player just be handed a frame? Um, it's about This just seems to be about making it easier for people. And it's not supposed to be easy. Snooker's supposed to be hard. And there also, there are, there are sort of you know, things to think about. Say the player pots, okay, frame ball. Um, so let's say they pot, I don't know, a colour that is frame ball. But they, in potting it, they snook themselves on the last red, okay? So mathematically they've won the frame, but they're now in a snooker of their own making. Does the frame just stop there? So the frame stops there, or do they have to get out of that snooker? How does it work? There'd be so many things that, like suggestions like this, People haven't really thought through exactly how it would work. I think it's one of those things that, in theory, people would go for. But actually, in practice, I don't think people would like it. Um, and, you know, you'd have to work out, and, you know, there's not enough time, you know, in the year to do this. But how many matches actually contain frames where people play for snookers? I think these days, with big breaks being made like they are, probably not that many, actually. So I'm not sure it's a massive issue. I won't lie, again, you know, there are times when you think, oh, don't play on, you know, we don't need this. But is it? I don't think it's a massive issue. And like I say, it, there's a lot of skill involved. And also, as you say yourself, people do actually win frames having needed lots of snookers. Anthony McGill did in Belfast. In fact, Jimmy White did against McGill. So I'm, I'm inclined. I think problem, if you sort of identify problems within snooker, the game itself is not one of them. The game should be basically left as it is as far as I'm concerned uh, we move on James Cook you know, he's one of our American correspondents one of our correspondents in America he says greetings from a cold and grey New York 
It's been an embarrassment of riches for sport these last few weeks. Rugby World Cup, Cricket World Cup, Darts European Championship and, of course, snooker, the English Open, Northern Ireland Open, Wuhan and now the International Championship. At times, have run out of screens and attention span to watch them all concurrently. Snooker's come in for quite a bit of bashing recently, Macau, scoreboards, etc. So I'm not going to add to the negativity. I have... I myself have complained about the matchroom live service, the only access I have to watching snooker here in the US, which is far from perfect. However, I've been able to watch all the tournaments 95% of the time in commentary. I recognise that this, that in this streaming age, providing a live digital service is just table stakes, but it's still good to have access to it. In the spirit of being constructive, watching these aforementioned sports side by side sparks some thoughts on how the presentation of snooker could be enhanced. Number one. Regarding the scoreboards, get a tech company to do them in return for a logo and some dollars. Provides more revenue, a stable scoring platform, a more respectable sponsorship partner. Well, I mean, on that, uh, James, you know, they've obviously got the, the, the partner already. And um, I think we're all hopeful that the technical gremlins are going to be ironed out. Um, you know, it, it, it works a lot of the time, but sometimes it breaks down. And when it breaks down um, in the arena, that's, I think, the real issue because obviously it looks bad on telly then but hopefully you know those issues have been ironed out uh, the second point from James visualisations the cricket world cup is full of them I believe using Hawkeye tech ball tracking bowling analysis batter seat maps etc all add another dimension to the coverage I realise there's more time in a cricket game to show this stuff more relevance to show than in snooker I'd be interested in a white ball heat map around the black after a big break distance, white ball travel, etc. Again, this could be an opportunity for an AI-focused tech company to provide. I know Snooker used Hawkeye in the past, and it's being used in the International Championship to good effect. I mean, you, you mentioned the AI-focused tech company. You know, that, 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 that already I'm shuddering at that. Um, because uh, at Wimbledon uh, this year, they actually produced small um, highlights packages with AI commentary. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't actually a, a, a real commentator. It was just someone's voice that went through a computer. I mean, well, you dread to think. You know, I mean, the, the Beatles are, have got a. Well, I think it's a number one single, which um, has come from an old John Lennon demo, which AI has sort of cleaned up so you can hear it. Which you could argue that's using the technology for good. But what is to stop in the future? You know, you could get take John Lennon's voice, run it through a computer. You've got a new album. <laughs> of John Lennon songs that you know have been literally put through a computer uh, he didn't write them but his voice is on them um, I'm drifting off the point here but anyway in terms of you, in terms of your specific point yeah I'd like to see more of that I think I was thinking that sort of thing you're right cricket it lasts longer it's on all day so you can sort of tease them out um, over the course of the day I think there's a danger sometimes with this stuff to overdo it and overcomplicate particularly a game like snooker, which is chaotic a lot of the time. It's random. There's things happen. You get little uh, nudges and bumps. And, and it's not all about sort of science. A lot of it is just sort of, and that's why we love it, a lot of it is just absolute chaos. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah the, 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 the ideas are good. James continues, I'm old enough to remember three UK TV channels, five or six tournaments a year, lower playing standards, and often patchy snooker coverage. So snooker is currently in a very good place, despite all the negativity. And, yes... As an ex-PR person, if World Snooker Tour was my client, I'd be telling them to get out there with a forward-looking positive narrative. 
I would love to see it keep moving with the times and taking advantage of tech in, in partnership with tech companies to lend a more sophisticated edge to the coverage and potentially attract more viewers, players and revenue. That was quite a long email, so I'll stop there. Keep up the good work. The Snooker Scene podcast is still a highlight of the week, and I enjoy your comms. Thank you, James. Very kind of you. Now, our final email before we get on to the Champion of Champions preview is from John, who says, On last week's episode, someone referred to a match between Alex Higgins and Cliff Thorburn at the 1982 Irish Masters at Goffs. Alex was 4-0 down at the interval, but came back to win 5-4. I was at the match with my dad. I was 14 at the time. I think the match was in the evening but I did get the afternoon off school, so we must have attended the afternoon session as well. The second half of the Higgins-Thorburn match was tremendously exciting. After the match, I recall everyone in the crowd talking about how Higgins had gone to the bookies during the interval and placed a large amount on himself to win. People were saying it was £5,000 of big odds as he was 5-0 down. I've no idea if the story was true, but I wouldn't be surprised. I noticed on Q-Tracker that his prize money for winning the match, a quarter-final, was only £1,875. He lost the semi-final to Steve Davis. The evening stands out in my memory for another reason. It was the day I stopped liking Alex Higgins. It was because of his behaviour towards people in the crowd during the match. I was seated near the front and I recall him passing comments at audience members, probably not captured on camera. At the time I thought it was nasty and quite menacing. I was surprised at it because the crowd were massively on his side. I was a big Steve Davis fan but I liked Alex too, partly because he was Irish and partly because my dad had a cue signed by him. He'd won it in a raffle in his club in 1972 when Alex, who'd recently become world champion, was touring snooker halls in Ireland, giving exhibitions and playing locals. That queue, which was kept under the stairs in our house, was actually the first thing I ever knew about snooker. I think it was only about two months after that match against Thorburn that Higgins won the famous second world title. My enjoyment on that occasion was tempered by my memory of his behaviour at Goffs. Well, I, I will come to the rest of your email shortly, John, but it's interesting because... I mean, there are so many stories about Alex Higgins. Um, you know, you could um, do every podcast on him. And a lot of people have positive memories of him, but an awful lot have negative ones. But there's, there's still this sort of attitude that, oh, good old Alex, despite all that, because of his sort of flamboyance and his style and just the way he played, people tend to forgive him. Um, but, you know, you, you clearly, your feelings about him were affected there. Um, again to go back to something Clive said about him he said once he said they call Alex the people's champion but what sort of people and the answer to that is a lot of his a lot of his sort of natural audience were kind of well a lot of them I think were on the outside or on the fringes or saw themselves that way that sort of have nots really who saw in him a hero who was going to kind of stick it to the man. He was anti-authority. He was anti-establishment. And I suppose if you, if your lot in life is not what you wanted it to be, then someone like that is quite seductive because you think, well, that's what I'd like to. That's how I'd like to be. I'd like to sort of say to authority, yeah, you know, you can stick it, sort of thing. Um, so he, he had a particular fan base. They weren't all like that, obviously. I mean, someone like Ken Doherty, he's nothing like that. And he remains a massive Alex Higgins fan, always has been. He was a very exciting player. I mean, there's no, no two ways about it. But equally, you know, some of his personal behaviour was lacking. I think, you, to be fair, though, you know, we're going about 40 years in these sort of more enlightened times. And I'm not making excuses, but in the, these more enlightened times, you know, there was no mental health discussion back then at all. Whereas now, I think 
people might sort of look at his more erratic behaviour and maybe consider sort of the, the reasons behind that and maybe some of the remedies for it. Back then, he was just a wild man and that's how he was sort of cast and that's the role that he was prepared to play. Um, anyway, John continues. On another note, some time back, you invited people to send in memories of the past 25 years of snooker and I've been meaning ever since to send this in. The occasion in those 25 years when the importance of snooker struck me most strongly was during the final frame of the Corin Wilson-Anthony McGill semi-final at the World Championship in 2020. There'd been an unfortunate and significant falling out within the family, and my father and I hadn't spoken for many months. It was a difficult situation that I wasn't happy about. That summer afternoon, I was at home during Covid lockdown, watching that extraordinary final frame of the semi-final. My mobile phone rang. It was my dad. And he just said, are you watching it? I said that I was. We stayed on the phone talking throughout the rest of the frame. It broke the ice on a difficult period and things were okay after that. Snooker has never meant as much to me as that day. Well, it's, what a nice uh, story that is, John. Thank you. And um, I'm glad all was well. And it just shows you, I think it's not just snooker. It's actually, I think, the World Championship more than anything. People, the reason, and this may, you know, be news to maybe some people who only look at it from a money perspective, but... One of the reasons the Crucible has such a resonance with a certain people of a certain age anyway is so many of us began watching that with family members. So when we think about the Crucible, we're not just thinking about snooker. We're thinking about ourselves when we were young. We're thinking about our families, the people we watched it with, what it meant to them. And maybe some of them are no longer with us. Um, so it's not just a venue and a set of matches. It's actually... Memories of a lifetime and memories of, you know, where, where we were formed, who formed us, what they meant to us, how much we missed them. Um, that is all part of it. And, you know, I think a lot of people see snooker as a kind of family sport in a way. And you've, you've provided a perfect example there of why that is the case. Um, so often you hear people talking about their memories of snooker are, are linked so much to their memories of their families. I mean, John Higgins, he started playing because his dad, John Senior, took him and his brother to a club, snooker club, um, ostensibly, you know, for something to do, but also, he, like, he could have a, a drink with his pals and, and John and his brother could, could play snooker. Um, and that connection was made immediately. Steve Davis, obviously, with his dad, Bill, you know, and a lot of the, the players of that era, they, they always, their dad always came with them. Um, so, well, it's, I'm glad that, 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 that that's an extraordinary um, frame between Karen and Anthony you know, help bring about uh, that uh, that coming together again. Thank you for the email. So anyway, we'll get to the uh, the champion champions shortly, but uh, just on the UK Championship, uh, the qualifiers start uh, on next weekend, and the last four days of the qualifiers will be. It's been announced this week will be available to watch on Discovery Plus as normal, but also on World Snooker Tour's YouTube and Facebook pages, so you can watch them for free on there. And uh, I'm happy to say I'll be involved with some of the commentary. And uh, we've got uh, the Monday and Tuesday we'll be doing live commentary on the main table with competitions uh, for tickets and also hopefully good interaction with snooker fans around the world. And then the judgment days are Wednesday and Thursday. That's the final round of qualifying. Rob Walker will be presenting the studio coverage. And uh, it went well last year. Obviously, Jimmy White was uh, qualified, which is a great uh, story, but... The, the general drama, the, the new format, I think, has worked really well for the UK Championship. 
So we're all looking forward to, to bringing in that, and uh, that will be, as I say, available on, on Discovery Plus, but also on World Snooker Tour's YouTube and Facebook pages. So to the Champion of Champions, which is the big event coming up this week in Bolton. Um, now, it's celebrating its 10th anniversary. Uh, 2013, it was first introduced to the calendar. There was an old version of it in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, which was around for a few years, but this uh, this iteration uh, was part of the, the Barry Hearn sort of takeover. Uh, Barry with has a just a great relationship with every broadcaster, and that includes ITV4, who had shown coverage, I think, earlier that year of the World Open in China, very early in the morning, and it gone really well, and, and they identified snooker as a sport that they could add to their portfolio, and the Champion of Champions was a great idea. It's, it's a pretty simple idea in a way. It's the winners of all the tournaments, essentially, um, all play in the same event, and obviously if, if, if there aren't enough winners, then you top it up off the rankings, but they're all going to be winners this year. All, all the players in the tournament are going to be winners. Um, so we're going to go through the draw. Now, obviously, there's a slight issue <laughs> with um, Wednesday's play because we don't know one of the players at the moment. or don't know for sure. So I'm going to slightly hedge that one, as you'll, as you'll see when we get to it. But we'll start with Monday. Uh, Monday's group is really tough. We've got Mark Allen against Jimmy White and Mark Selby against Ali Carter. Now, we start with Allen v. White. I think a year ago, most people would predict a heavy victory for Mark Allen just because he was playing great at the time. Jimmy actually had a good season, but the problem Jimmy's got, I think, at the moment is that he doesn't play, unlike 30 years ago when it's second nature, he doesn't play that many TV matches. And what I've noticed in the last couple of years is when he plays one, he does seem nervous. And this is a big deal to be walking out there, one table, you know, back to where, as I say, he used to just be all the time. I think it's a big deal for him. Of course, Mark Allen now is the man with the experience of that. Having said that, you know, Allen's season has not been a good one compared to what he did last year. He did get to the quarterfinals in Wuhan, but other than that, it has been a bit of a struggle. And, uh, well, does that mean there's an opportunity for Jimmy? I guess, you know, best of seven, there's always a chance. But the, the overall head-to-head favours Allen 4-1. So I think it would be a shock if Jimmy won. But certainly if he could win a couple of frames maybe early on, then as ever, for Jimmy White fans, there'd be a lot of excitement and a lot to, a lot of hope that maybe he could do it. But uh, obviously, Alan is going to be the favourite. The next match, though, is a very difficult one to call. Mark Selby and Ali Carter. Uh, of course, Carter qualified by winning the German Masters last season. Mark Selby is actually qualified in three ways. The English Open and WST Classic, he won. And also the World Championship runner-up gets in these days. But anyway, he got in uh, through winning the English Open initially. Uh, Selby, of course, was in the last ITV final, the British Open. That's the first one he's ever been in. Um, but he lost there to Mark Williams. And since then, really since that match with Martin O'Donnell, a couple of days later in Brentwood, he had to play twice in a day. And he conceded early, which for him is just you know unheard of. Uh, didn't play Northern Ireland because he was due to play in those exhibitions. We won't go into that again. And then lost... Early on, uh, of course, in uh, well, had already lost in Wuhan, lost early on at the International Championship to Tom Ford. So, really, um, you know, he's, he's sort of not had the best of seasons, I suppose, by his standards. We're ju- judging these people by very high standards. Ali Carter, runner-up in the Wuhan Open, and just got to the quarterfinals, the International Championship, where Ronnie O'Sullivan extended his record against him to 17-1. I mean, that's pretty brutal stuff. That's the biggest margin, you know, most one-sided head-to-head of any sort of matchup in 
the game at the moment, players on the tour now. And, you know, it's, it's all time, I think, is 17 nil Stephen Hendry, Terry Griffiths. So, you know, it's not far off that now. Uh, anyway, he's not playing Ronnie O'Sullivan. He's playing Mark Selby. Um, they've had some, some tough old matches down the years, these two. Um, the overall head-to-head favours Selby 11-6. But, you know, Carter is one of these people... In fact, he's beaten anybody, actually. Um, and he can beat anybody. Uh, it's just whether he can bring that form to Bolton. But I think... Uh, that's a match you'd be brave to call. In terms of the overall group, I think Mark Allen will be in that group final. I know a lot of people say it's just a quarter final, but I mean, you know, let's 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 all get a life and not not dwell on that too much. They play groups in a day, so we'll call it the group final. Um, if we're going to say Mark Allen's in it, now he's played the first match, so if Selby Carter's a long match, there might not be too much of a gap before they play the second one. So despite not being in great form. Maybe Mark Allen deserves to be the favourite there. I always think with Selby, though, you know, he, he's such a uh, he's such an impressive player, such a great fighter, and maybe after a couple of, sort of early exits from tournaments, you know, it's maybe a good time for him to start coming good. You could challenge it around the corner as well. So if it's Selby and Allen in the in that match, then top one to call, I think. But uh, a great way to start the week because I think that you could argue that's actually the toughest of all the groups. Um, and you know it's always great I know a lot of people still like to watch Jimmy White as well now Tuesday we've got Luca Brassell against Barry Hawkins and Mark Williams against Robert Milkins so this is another terrific group actually uh, Brassell already talked about earlier on um, since that Shanghai final has been quite quiet hasn't played and everything seems to be a bit rusty compared to the other players which you know he's going to be if he's not been playing uh, the Hawk is not. Barry Hawkins is certainly not rusty. He's having a great season. And uh, we saw, again, uh, just recently, quarter-finalist in the International Championship. Of course, he'd been semi-finalist in Belfast. He won the European Masters. So Barry Hawkins has been playing some terrific stuff this season. And it's uh, good to see him uh, back in the top 16 and, and, and back to his old self, really. Um, just a couple of meetings between them. The most recent was that European Masters last 16 which Hawkins won so on the basis of this season he's favourite but I do get the feeling that, you know Brussel I think he's going to come good we saw, kind of saw it in Shanghai that was just two tables this is a one table event he might be in a tournament like this you know a big stakes tournament where you know the, the, the real best shine he, he, he beat Judd Trump there one year 4-0 in no time at all you can do that to people um, so I kind of slightly fancy him to win it, even though he's got no real form to call on of late. And then the other match, Mark Williams, Robert Milkins, it's 5-1 to Williams on the head-to-head. The last time he beat Milkins was in the World Championship that he that he most recently won, 2018. Um, Milkins didn't play in the International Championship. He was one of the few top 16 players who didn't qualify. Uh, Mark Williams was beaten by Zhang Andu, who played very well indeed, 6-3 in the last 64 I just get the feeling there Williams might be a bit too sort of savvy in that match. He doesn't need always Mark to play his best to win matches. So it could well be williams Brussel. Of course, they played second round of the World Championship this year. Brussel won 13-11. That was a great match. Well, every match Brussel played was a great match. But that, that, was a, that was maybe the first sign that he could actually potentially do something special there. Um, and, well, whoever's in the, in the group final is going to be exciting but 
perhaps I would go for Brissell Williams there. Wednesday is Ronnie O'Sullivan against TBC. Now, by the time you listen to this podcast, you may know who it is, um, but it's going to be dependent on what happens on Sunday in the International Championship final. If Ronnie O'Sullivan wins that tournament, then he will play Ding Junhui, the six Reds world champion. Um, and the next match is John Higgins against Chris Wakelin. Um, but if Ronnie doesn't win the title, obviously either Tom Ford or Zhang Ander will have won it. As I record this, the O'Sullivan Zhang Ander semi final is not over yet. So if Zhang or Tom Ford won it, they'd be in the champion of champions. Um, there may be a slight issue for O'Sullivan. I mean, he's won the champion of champions four times. I think he's been runner up twice. You know, it's a tournament that he kind of owns, really. Um, it's perfect for him. It's a one-table event where you only actually have to play three days. That's the other thing of the seven that, that it is. So he's not having to pitch up every day. But I guess the slight issue this year potentially is just the turnaround from China. And also, there's no doubt this tennis elbow is a real thing. And if it has been troubling him, you know, he may want to rest, rest it. He's not got a lot of time to do that. He'll be flying home, I guess, Monday it be in Bolton Tuesday night to play Wednesday. So there's not a lot of time. So maybe the, the schedule may catch him out because, of course, in years gone by, quite often he would skip the Chinese events. So even if they were sort of close to Champion of Champions, often he hadn't played in them. But that's changed now. So could his sort of devotion to China perhaps imperil, you know, doing well in that event? You never know with him, obviously, but that's something, I think, to look out for. And this is why I slightly fancy John Higgins in this group, actually. Uh, Chris Wakelin, of course, is having a great time of it. He's just been uh, runner-up in the uh, Northern Ireland Open, won the shootout earlier this year, which he got in the event. Um, but but coming out to play an event like this, a one-table, you know, big prestige elite field tournament, is kind of new to him. So it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to that because he's not got long to. It's the best of seven. John Higgins, obviously, is more than used to that in his career. He played many of these sort of tournaments. Indeed, he's won this one, the Champion of Champions. Um, so for that reason, I kind of favour him. And then, if there is a bit of tiredness, let's let's say O'Sullivan does win the first match. We don't know whether he will or not. It could be that El Clasico goes to Higgins. So just, I mean, these are just wild predictions. That's all they are. But um, it's an interesting group, as indeed is Thursday. Uh, now Thursday, Judd Trump, of course, is up against the women's world champion. That's Bypat Siripapawan and. Of course, uh, that's going to be a massive match for her. And then it's Gary Wilson against Sean Murphy. Trump, you know, he's going to win that match, I suspect. I don't think that's a, you know, out of order, just, just making that prediction. There's a massive gulf in ability. But obviously, it's an opportunity for women's snooker again to get a platform, remind everybody that uh, there is a women's game, although also that women can play on the main tour. It's not a men's circuit, it's a professional circuit albeit one that's historically been heavily dominated by men but good luck to her, it's a, it's a very tough draw whoever she drew would be tough but to run into Trump who's won three tournaments in a row that's that's difficult and then Sean Murphy, Gary Wilson well, hard one to call I think Gary I thought played really well in Tianjin, the international championship ran Ding all the way 6-5 uh, could have gone either way and Sean uh, made a good start to the season, won the Championship League. Obviously, since then, all this Q business has sort of been the, the sort of focus of, of chat around him. Um, it's too early to judge, you know, whether that experiment 
he's going to work or not. He's only been going a couple of tournaments. Um, but it, it seems that he's just lost a little bit of form. Um, and that can happen, you know, in, it, it came off the back of last season playing really well. He's played well in matches he's lost. I mean, the Jack Lazowski one at the British Open is an obvious example. So it's not always that he's not played well, but it's just getting getting the wins, I suppose. Um, all things being equal, well, Trump, I think, is going to win that group, personally. Um, I just think he's playing so well at the moment. Obviously, he's runner-up to Ronnie last year in the tournament. Likes the tournament. Won it the year before himself. Um, so all of that leaves us with uh, Judd Trump, John Higgins, Luca Brassell, and I can't remember who I went for on the first day. Was it Mark Allen or Mark Selby? One of those two. Basically, they're all going to be big hitters in the semi-finals. In terms of who's going to win the tournament, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I do have a slight feeling for Brassell. I don't know why, really, because he's, do, he's done not much this season and he seems to have lost a bit of an edge compared to the other players. But we know that he thrives on inspiration. Also, I've written a piece about him in the programme. <laughs> so I've got to sort of back myself for that. Yes, if you're if you're in Bolton, uh, you can read my piece about him. Um, I'd like to see him come good again this season. I think we need our world champion to be visible and doing well because it it, it helps the whole sport gain a platform. So hopefully, you know, Luca will will find something at some point. Maybe this week. Either way, it's going to be a really good week. He always is a terrific tournament. I think it's got a, a, actually a perfect format. You get the two best of sevens in the afternoon. And then one best of 11 at night, which means it's not going to be too late to finish. There's not too much snooker at night. It's not one of these midnight jobs. It's just about right. Um, very good format. Very good tournament. And, of course, they'll be wearing distinctive uh, shirts that the clothing has sort of um, moved on a bit. And you can actually buy now uh, the shirts that the players are wearing. So if you've got a favourite player, say you're a big, uh, I don't know, uh, Ronnie, well, Ronnie O'Sullivan fan, you can buy a rocket t-shirt that he will wear in the match so that's kind of an interesting development I know a lot of people traditionalists want to keep the, the traditional formal wear the bow ties and the waistcoats but I also think that people accept that in certain events there's room for experiment and change and that's what's happening it's a matchroom run event they like to innovate and uh, yeah it's going to be good and I think ticket sales I'm told are good in Bolton so Looking forward to it. It's live on ITV4 in the UK and uh, other broadcasters will be taking it. Check uh, the website for details. Well, that's it for this week. Um, so do keep uh, your UK Championship memories coming in. Any specific memories of that tournament will celebrate it nearer the time. And uh, yeah, it's snookerscenepodcast.mail.com snookerscenepodcast.mail.com That's the address for any questions or observations you may have um so that's it really i'm off for a lime cordial <laughs> um but uh, in the meantime as we always say thanks for listening and goodbye bye sports social podcast network step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.